So this idea of being the flock of God, where does that come from? Well, it's actually one of the top descriptions of God's people, even going back into the Old Testament. But it's refined much more in the New Testament as we think about Jesus Christ and his role. So I wanna read for you from Ezekiel 34, fantastic passage that describes the shepherds. And actually, most of the chapter is failed shepherds. And how, uh, and, and, and the language is not, not necessarily church leaders, but, but the kings of the time. There's a lot of parallel between the shepherds and kings and the, word, the wording there. But for our purposes, listen to this in Ezekiel 34. It says this, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Again, I'll read it again. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God, Ezekiel 34, 31. Now, when it comes to this whole conversation of sheep, being sheep, I think it's really helpful for us just to acknowledge that there's a similarity between this description and what we may do. So I'm, I'm curious from you, how many of you all have like livestock that you care for? Like we're talking, yeah, you put your hands up. It's good to know. It's good to know who to turn to, right? So we're talking a whole mixture of things. You got, you got cows, you got sheep, you got goats, you got chickens, any alpacas or llama owners here? No, no? All right, well, I know for us a couple years ago, we had four goats and they destroyed everything. And it took a lot of care, a lot of nurture. Uh, for some of you, if you don't have livestock, maybe you have a pet, and there's a lot of similarities. Uh, livestock tends to be much more utilitarian. You know, there's more of a purpose than just a buddy. But there's still a lot of similarities between caring for an animal, caring for a group of animals, versus, I don't know, something, something else. And so... You can even think about your own animals that you care for, if you have those. As we think through this description, there is a lot of similarities. In fact, so much so that in church conversations among pastors and, I don't know, things you might even read or come across, occasionally you'll read authors who will say, you know, we need to ditch those biblical descriptions of being sheep and the flock of God, because like, that's like unrelatable, you know? And this is usually an author writing from a high rise in New York City or something, but they're saying like, I just, don't, I just don't get that. What's important for us as God's people is to enter in on the descriptions that God himself used. So if he used those, let's learn those. In our case, it is a little more relatable. It's a little more, uh, you know, some, I mean, you literally raised your hands about livestock. If I was preaching this in another city, I probably wouldn't actually ask that question because that wouldn't be relatable. So with this in mind, what does it mean to be God's sheep? And what does it mean to have Christ as our chief shepherd? Right? What's it mean to be God's sheep and to have Christ as our shepherd? Well, John 10 is a fantastic go-to passage for us. I'm gonna read this. It's lengthy, it, and it covers not only how Christ is our shepherd, but then also a few other descriptions of who he is, but all of it is so good. And my encouragement for you this morning is we, we will only cover so much, but this discussion about being God's sheep is a wonderful one that is so formative and strengthening in your walk with the Lord. And so as you come across more material, or if you're curious, I have more on this, I would love, for to, uh, I'd love to share it with you because it is so good for you to understand, how does God view me? What, do, what does it mean to be in God's flock? And it is far more profound and life-giving than it probably sounds at the onset. So let's walk through this and see what the Lord has here. John 10, 
Starting in verse one, Jesus says to those who are listening to his followers, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep, what do they do? Listen, they hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's a wonderful passage, by the way. If you're looking for one to memorize this week, John 10, 10. Now, verse 11 Jesus continues, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which he did on the cross, remember? He says this, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, well, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may, no, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. All right, we're gonna stop there. I wanted to read the beginning and the end there just because it's such a good, uh, full understanding of the story. But in the middle, you see all these characteristics. You see how there's a shepherd and what his role is. And you see the sheep and what their role is. And notice the shepherd is the initiator and the sheep are responding. The shepherd is the one leading. He is the one feeding. He is the one caring for. He is the one protecting. And the sheep... They go along. <laughs> they, they watch what the, what the shepherd is doing and go where the shepherd is leading. As you think about the shepherd, there's different descriptions here, but let me fill this out even more. The shepherd is the one leading the sheep. The shepherd is the one who knows them by name and then calls them by name. The shepherd feeds them and cares and comforts. The shepherd in this story is protecting and including laying down his life for the sheep. And lastly, the shepherd loves, and it's demonstrated there's this compassion and knowing the sheep. So you see just this relationship there. It's not just a, um, uh, the sheep aren't just property to the shepherd. There's an intimacy there. There's a, a love there. There's something beyond, again, just A utilitarian purpose, you know, the sheepers aren't there to serve, but they and, and to be a means to an end. But the shepherd loves and cares for. How about the sheep? Well, they hear his voice, they listen to his voice, 
they trust their shepherd, their chief shepherd here, and they follow him. And then let's contrast all that with the hired hand, the, the one in the story. What's he do? Well, he scatters when the threat shows up. For him, this whole role is just for a paycheck. There's no love. And then what about the threat? Well, the threat goes in to kill and destroy and take the sheep. All these different factors are in this story, and it's fantastic, and there's many different sermons and books on this passage alone because it is so helpful to understand who we are. We are those sheep, so we are the ones who must listen and be led by and trust and follow our chief shepherd. And in that following, remember, it's not blindly following. We trust because he has been faithful to his promises all along. The shepherd is very consistent. The hired hand is the one who's like hit or miss. But the shepherd is the one who every day I mean, in this story, you just play it out. Think about those of you with livestock, and I can think about the times we've had them, and we have others now, too. Every day, at dawn or before, usually before, in the dark, you get up and you go feed. You care. You nurture when needed. You ensure that they have what they need. You know, for us as sheep, it's so valuable to be reminded that he leads us, so we need to be led by him. The pasture that nourishes our soul is foremost scripture, right? God's word is our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It is what we eat from to have our souls fed. We don't lead ourselves, but he leads us, and his leadership toward us has been well evidenced and it has been something that we can look back on and see. So let us trust for what is ahead. So with that in mind, that's, that's the premier description that Jesus told his followers sitting around and that there was references to in other moments in, the, in scripture. But let's turn our attention to a famous psalm. Let's remember that Jesus is our chief shepherd and so he leads us, he cares for us, he nurtures and he protects and our response as sheep is to be led by him, is to just respond as he leads us, right? So Psalm 23 says, the very famous psalm, says the Lord is my shepherd. God could have used any other description in that moment. He's my shepherd, okay. What's that mean? Well, because he's my shepherd, I shall not want, or I shall not be in want, or I shall not be in need, because because the shepherd faithfully meets our needs, and usually beyond what we even think we need. Verse two says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Well, because the shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, that's quite the description of our shepherd, our shepherd, our chief shepherd who loves us and leads us and cares for us. And probably right in the middle is the one that we can cling to. And there's so much in there. But in the middle there, this, this reference of the valley of the shadow of death, you know, that reminds us of this, that no matter what we are going through, we have the promise that our shepherd will be right there with us. He'll be there to carry us through, through hardship, through heartache, through poverty, through insults, through chaos, through grief. That is his job, and he loves it and takes joy in that. For us to doubt his faithfulness in that role of carrying us through those things is an insult to everything he's demonstrated leading up. And, and, and it dismisses his true character. And that's our chief shepherd. Name what it is that you might be in. Name the valley, the shadow of death. And your shepherd is there, comforting and leading you. There's a third passage that teaches us about God's shepherding role for us. And this one, we can all take comfort in, in a special way. For some of us, you could stand up right now, we got a mic, you know, you, you could stand up and you could testify, you're like, I was that, I was that one. And if you can't yet, you might find yourself being able to by the, you know, give, given enough time. But Matthew has a wonderful passage for us. It's recorded in a few other gospel accounts too in different ways, but I really like this one because of the reference to the mountains and we live in a mountain town. And so Matthew 18 says this, starting in verse 10. See that you do not despise one of the little ones. I was reading this to my kids yesterday, actually this chapter, and uh, this whole chapter has, so, um, Jesus is spending time with children and everyone's like pushing the children away. And so this is kind of in the middle of that section. That's why there's references to the little ones. He says, see, see that no one uh, despises the little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. And there, then he goes on, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does that man not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it will, so it is not the will of my Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Friends, the other passages are good, but I think this one captures a certain component of our heart and the emotion of God's passion for us as our shepherd. This passage captures that in a way that others just can't. There is something profound about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go chase after us. In our state or season of wandering. No matter where you go, he can and he will find you. I mean, how about that? How about them apples? Right, stick, like, where, where is it? Oh, Psalm 139, I believe. And it's in there and it says something along the lines of like, 
uh, no matter where I go, you are there. I can go into the depths of the sea or like the farthest places and you are there. What a glorious promise we have that our shepherd is wherever we might run to and hide from. Uh, when, when we are trying to get away, when we are trying to escape, when we are running, yeah, well, he's, he's, he's right there. He beat you to the spot. And he's sitting there saying, oh, you, you got here. All right, let's go back home. He will fiercely pursue us. He will passionately hunt us down to reveal his incomprehensible love for us. Sometimes he uses the church to do this. We see this in James 5. Listen to these words. We don't have these on the screen, but just listen to James 5. If you read the whole book of James, everyone loves James. Well, the very last two verses of this whole book say these words. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What a great reminder of the, of the reward of chasing down those uh, who uh, are the wandering sheep. And we don't do it with judgment because either we've already been there so we know what that's like or let's just be humble enough to recognize we might get there one day. And we want people to chase us down too and bring us back in. Sometimes this idea of love and chasing down that lost sheep includes some tough love. You know, there's stories of, especially in ancient Near East and stuff, these stories of these shepherds who they just have this lamb particularly who is just rambunctious and stubborn and will not want to follow along and just runs off over and over again. The shepherd tries over and over again to get this sheep with the rest and just doesn't want to do it. So he knows, well, listen, this sheep is gonna, it's, it's gonna die. It's gonna fall off a cliff, get eaten by a wolf or something. Like, I gotta teach this sheep a lesson. And the only way to do so is to find that sheep. So after hunting it, to find the sheep, break its legs, stick it over his shoulders, and bring it back. And then carry that stubborn sheep on its shoulders for the next six or eight weeks, however long it takes. Nurturing it, giving it the oil it needs and everything else. Feeding the thing, because it can't run out there and get some grass like everyone else. It's gotta be fed by hand while it's got these little broken legs, while it heals. And then it learns the voice of the shepherd. And builds trust with the shepherd. I don't know how many of you would say you feel like the Lord at times has spiritually broken your legs just to get your attention. I've had that moment with uh, almost, of a, almost broken back and, uh, and it got my attention. So those are passages that for us, they, they teach us who our chief shepherd is. There's a few others I wanna read for us. It helps to just add to it, but they're not as lengthy. Listen to these words. These are three different passages. One is 1 Peter 2. He says this in verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. First Peter 5, 4, so a few chapters later, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then lastly in Revelation chapter seven, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd 
and he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Friends, all these passages teach us that our shepherd loves us and wants to lead us and want to guide us. And so my question for us as, as the church is, do you trust the Lord to lead you and to feed you and to, what was this last phrase, uh, guide us to the springs of living water? Our shepherd wants to guide us to those springs. Are we resisting him leading us in that? I mean, refreshing springs. And you're like, no, I don't want the refreshing spring. Let me go over to the toilet. My cats drink out of our toilet. I'm like, get out of the toilet. We actually have fresh water right there in a the bowl. No, they don't want to drink that. Stop drinking out of that. Stuff like that. What are you doing? Do we let our chief shepherd lead us? All these passages, they are a clear demonstration that God views his role as a shepherd and our role as sheep. Well, what does that mean for us today? Well, Christ so deeply cares for us. He so deeply loves us and wants to see us grow, you know, from a little baby lamb into a mature, into a mature sheep. He so deeply wants that, that he has actually assigned certain people within the church to be under shepherds for that task. Isn't that like a, a fantastic demonstration? He, he cares so much about his sheep. He doesn't just say, like, okay, now you're sheep. Uh, have fun. See you when I rapture you or see you when I see you in heaven. Instead, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna assign, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna handpick shepherds for you to grow in your faith and walk with you through, through the decades of your spiritual journey. That is how intentional and passionate the Lord is for his sheep. That he actually will appoint Perhaps even, and I would, I would uh, align with this, at birth or before birth, in the womb, knowing that this array of, of children, usually, usually boys, will become men and will be assigned and appointed to lead his flock. I think about this town and how, how inspiring it is for me uh, as somebody who moved here to, to have done so within the same couple years as some of the older pastors, like the ones who were like in their 80s and in their 90s. I mean, like, there's like old and there's like real old. And some of these guys were real old. And they were brought home with the Lord in the same couple years that he brought me into the town and a couple others who are pastoring other, other churches here. And what a wonderful like picture this is that God has not forsaken his church in green or the area at all. I wanna talk about this a little bit here as we, as we wrap up. In our church family, there are several who are gifted in shepherding. This is seen on the micro level 
with our home groups and our small groups. Here you have a couple usually, or a man or a woman who take on the responsibility to lead, to feed, to nurture, to love, to protect, you know, eight to 15 people. And say, so they're, they're going to not just host and, and not just literally feed maybe with food, but they're going to care for the spiritual vitality of this person. And then we see kind of on a, on a larger level that most of us might be more familiar with. Within our own church, we have our elders as a church. And we have pastoral staff as well. And we all are, regardless of the title, we are all shepherding. And so we have Steve and Stephen and Michael and Aaron as elders, Maddie and Neil and I as pastors. And we are all shepherds of this congregation, using our different giftedness, spiritual giftedness by the Holy Spirit to care for this church. And as stewards of the chief, chief shepherd, we have been tasked to shepherd you. And this is a responsibility that is amazing and beautiful and intense. Listen to the language from Acts 20, 28. This is how, this is how God views this stewardship that you stand before God one day to give an account for. Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, you can say, or elders or pastors, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Friends, the role of shepherding a congregation, it's not, it's not a job, it's a calling, right? It's, it's driven by love, not a paycheck or a title or a, I don't know, any sort of earthly nonsense like that. God appoints and calls and establishes and sustains and strengthens and encourages junior shepherds on his behalf to care for his sheep. So what is our response as this sheep? Well, my encouragement for you is to function and to act very much like what we see in that first story in John 10, in which you have sheep who are cared for and led by a shepherd. We must first listen to the chief shepherd's voice. That involves hearing his voice and then also kind of that listening component, that response to his voice, not just hearing it and running off, but let's, let's let him lead us. So, that sounds so easy, uh, but those of us who are parents understand you can say something, but it, it doesn't actually mean they're going to respond. And we do the same to God all the time. Have we busied ourselves filled our minds with all sorts of things. We can't even hear his voice even if he was shouting it to us. We'd be like, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Let me get back into the, into the busyness of whatever. Do we even live in a place where we can be quiet enough to hear God if he was speaking? I mean, and I'm talking even quiet enough to read and, and, and pausing enough and, uh, I don't know, the word, but like budgeting your time to, to read his word in an intentional and thoughtful way. Not just as an add-on and not a quick little thing in the elevator or something, but like intentional. Reading his word. That's where his voice primarily is. He's given us 
the whole Bible, read the thing, right? Hear his voice. Well, not only do we hear it and we listen, but then listening in a way that's responding, well, that requires trust. Do you trust your shepherd? I mean, do you actually trust him? I'm asking that for myself too, because to not follow where he's leading us must, why? A lack of trust. Probably it comes back to that in most cases or some version of that. Do you actually trust your shepherd? And if not, why not? Has he been unfaithful to his promises to you? Uh, has, he, has he abandoned you? What evidence could you say to say, these are why I, don't, I cannot trust my chief shepherd? Really? Let's take it real back. All the way down to the bottom layer, he's been there. He's been there the whole time. Walking with you. So we want to trust him, and that leads into following him. The same way all a whole bunch of little bunch of sheep, a whole little flock of sheep, just following after the shepherd. Some of these pictures of shepherds, you have the shepherd in the front, sometimes they're in the back, sometimes it's a whole team of shepherds, depending on the size of the flock. And they're leading them from pasture to pasture or through a city, you know, navigating through different different areas. Maybe they even have like a, a sheep dog with them just to help help keep the sheep in order. Do we follow after him? A lot of the ideas of following Christ, we think of followership like um, uh, a student, you know, of the teacher or um, a child to the father. Well, in this case, it's a sheep to the shepherd. And there's a little bit of like a, a, a playfulness to it that, that is unique for the sheep dynamic because sheep can be so... Uh, so nonsensical at times. Like, hey, all the food's over here. Why'd you go where the rocks are? Get over here. What are you doing over there? Uh, that's a wolf over there. Uh, duh. We all see it's a wolf. Why are you running to it? Stop. Get over here. You know? So we can, sheep can be so nonsensical. Very similar for us in our own walk with the Lord. And so, friends, do we respond to our shepherd, listening to his voice, trusting him and following him, And then within that same sort of framework, you would want to apply that within your local congregation. You know, Is there a general sense, a healthy sense of following, listening, trusting the junior shepherds that God has appointed for a local congregation? You know, it's a healthy interaction, which in my case, and, and all of us actually as leaders, uh, we're, we're both a sheep and a shepherd, so it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a dynamic thing there because I am part of the family of God, the sheep of God, right? But then also assigned and appointed by God, again, not with a job description, not from a resume, anything like that. No HR involved, just God appointed, affirmed by the local church. With that, we want to, as a church family, whether, whether I am the one who's the pastor or whoever comes later, right? Whoever, I mean, we're talking 100 years from now or any church you go to, church family, Listen to your shepherd. That dynamic, it's not blindly, but in response to demonstrated care and love. Well, Christ has appointed shepherds to lead and to equip. So let me leave you here with these verses. And then, um, yeah, just listen to this. Ephesians 4, we have it on the screen. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
That's another one, by the way, we'll look at in a few weeks, the body of Christ, but we'll keep going. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the role we have. This is part of that interaction and that relationship and the responsibility and the obligation and the joyful duty that comes with the shepherd-sheep dynamic within a congregation. So Maddie, you and the team, how about you guys come up here? I have to lead us in this final song. As they do, this is my, my prayer for us as a church is gonna be what we see in Hebrews 13, another reference to Christ being our shepherd. And it's a wonderful prayer for us. In fact, if you're wondering, like, how do I pray for my church today? Read Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. So I'm just gonna read this. This will be our prayer. And then we will, uh, we will respond with some singing. It says this, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.